All right, church. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Movement Church. If you want to gather, get your seat. Hope you got some. And, um, there's just more stories coming out of Alpha that we couldn't have shared. We're going to be doing Alpha again, but it's not just about Alpha. God is just doing what, what we are aiming to do. He's using broken people. And I love the, the statement. Someone said, God uses crooked sticks to make straight paths. Uh, we're a bunch of crooked sticks, but he's making some straight paths with us. And uh, that is the joyful thing that God uses people like us to see something as beautiful as salvation come. And uh, we want more. We want more, right? You want to see more of that? We want to see more of that. And that's why we give and pray and love and serve. And that's why we show up to encourage and uh, we praise God for that. Um, well, this morning we are going to be, uh, I think, ending. We might have one more week, but there'll be a different week next week. Uh, a series we started about a month or so ago called The Truth About Lies. The Truth About Lies. And this started out of us just discerning through our church that uh, there's a lot of people. At any given time, this is happening. If you're new here and, and wondering what this is about, any given time this is happening, but this is happening at a rate that I couldn't ignore, our, our elders and staff couldn't ignore. There's a lot of folks in our church that were being gripped by lies. And, um, and the way to, to, to fight lies isn't just to be apathetic and neutral about them, but to be uh, on the offense, not just defense, but on the offense with the truth. And so let me give you just a recap of where we've been and where we're going today. If you missed it, really encourage you to tap on to the Movement Without Church last teaching. The past teachings are there. We're not doing live stream, but all of it's there. And uh, now from starting this week, the sermons will be available right after service on YouTube so you can share them and see them. But uh, we just talked about the idea, the, the reality that, that you have an enemy that is attacking you with lies. If you are, Joel has probably experienced this already, and, and many of you, whether you're a new believer or not, you have an enemy against the gospel of Jesus, against the kingdom of God, who is out to deceive you and to destroy what God is doing in you, and he does that mainly through deception. Satan is called the father of lies, Jesus says. And the two lies we looked at last week and the week before, or two weeks ago, was I'm not good enough, and then God is not for me. I'm not good enough. I can't be good enough for God, for people, and God does not love me. He's not for me. I and mean, those are online, and you can look at those. Uh, this, these two were the two most marked, remarked um, lies that we had gotten back from our survey. So I know there's a lot of folks in here that are believing and struggling with that. And just want to encourage you with some just tips that we talked about this to frame our time. The reason why we're talking about this is because we cannot believe everything we think or feel. Every thought that goes through your mind can't be, I see this as truth because I'm thinking it. Because you and I know, we think things and feel things that are not always good, right, and true. And so the idea is, how do we discern what is right, true, and good? And how do we discern what is not? And then how do we fight these lies with the truth of God's word? Because if I'm honest, these lies are not just changing how we believe or what we believe. They ultimately change how we behave. Uh, once you believe a lie, you start behaving differently. Just like when you believe a truth, you start behaving differently. And uh, some of these lies have um, made people wander from the faith, made people isolate themselves, made people see themselves as worthless, and Satan is just stirring that up. And so one of the reasons why we gather today with the God's word opened and we worship like we do and we're going to receive communion is because we need to remind ourselves of the truth that many of us right now may be, may be just forgetting like you need to be spoken the truth from someone else because you can't remember it or can't tell yourself it. So hopefully today would be that for you. Let me just show you a breakdown of how this is kind of working out. This wasn't supposed to be like this. We didn't know how it was going to be breaking out. But the week one, 
was kind of how we view and relate to ourselves. I'm not good enough. And a lot of that was insecurities in how we view our worth and our value. Week two was how God views and relates to us. How does God see me? How does God treat me? And then this week is how we view and relate to people and how people view and relate to us. So myself, God, and then community. And those are kind of the buckets of how the lies broke down. And um, I think that's what Satan would want to do is to make us see ourselves as worthless, make us see God as distant, and then make us see community as not necessary. And so today we're going to talk about uh, week three, this idea of what people see about us, they view us, how we relate to community. We're talking about the church of Jesus, the family of God. And here's the lies I want to start right off the bat with. Um, and this is quotes from people in the survey that we received. I am a burden to people. I don't belong here and I don't fit in here. I'm a burden to people. I don't belong here and I don't fit in here. Just in case you're thinking we're just taking stuff and, and it's not relevant. I, I literally, without even letting people know I was preaching this this week, I heard people say this this last two weeks to me and in prayers. This is like fresh off of people's hearts and in people's minds. And if a few people are saying it, how many of you know there's more people probably thinking it, right? A few people might be outliers and say, and I'd be honest, but there's more people probably thinking I'm a burden to people. I don't want to bring my junk, I don't belong here in this church or this community or wherever you view yourself in the context of community, you feel like you don't fit in. You're kind of on the outside. There's no place for you to call home. And let me just unpack what we're really saying. Because underneath these lies are things that are, are really specific about experiences we've had and ways we see the church. And you might be a person who's figuring faith out and maybe you've been hurt by the church, maybe you're coming from a different religion or you don't have the experience like Joel talked about. Um, I just pray that this morning, this would rewire how you view the people of God and the experience of the church uh, because there's been a lot of hurt in the name of Jesus through community and um, there's a beautiful vision that God has for it. So what, what, what are we really saying when we say this? Well, I've heard people say these things. That's why they're in quotes. Um, one of the things we say when we say I'm a burden to people and I don't fit in and I don't belong to the church. I have no place here. People aren't like me. Is we think I have too much baggage for people to deal with. You look at yourself in the mirror. You look at your life and you say, man, I have too much junk for people to deal with. And so I'm, I'm going to be a burden to people. And because of that, it's better for me just to be on the outside and not show up, not share, not join community, not be honest, because I don't want to burden people with all my problems. Number two, I'm too needy. I don't want to bother people. I just have too many needs. And, and if I'm going to be honest and we're going to be a family, then, then I'm, going to, I'm going to be just annoyance to people because I have this need and this need and this need. And so we think it's better just to stay on the outside because we don't want to be an inconvenience. Or maybe not burden, but you would say, you look around and you say, I'm so different than these people. I don't belong here. I'm different. Uh, these people talk different. They act different. Chris has ADHD. He's wilding out up here. This person's really quiet. This person votes this way. This person sees things this way. And I don't look like them. I don't talk like them. I don't think like them. My personality is different. And there's no way I can fit into this community because I'm not like them. I'm different. 
And uh, maybe you don't look down on your difference. You just say, there's no place for me here. I stand out because I'm so different. Maybe you would say community is messy. Anyone raise your hand and agree on that? Oh, wow, Gabe, you raise your hand real fast. What's going on? Wow, I didn't even finish the sentence. Gabe's like, yeah, yeah, amen. <laughs> I, I would say too, community is messy. Family is messy. Marriage is messy. Parenting is messy. Anything with a human is messy. And we often say, I think about this in marriage. Don't judge me. I think about this in parenting. I think about this in pastoring. I think about this in all relationships. It's easier to be on my own. Anyone ever thought that? It's just easier to be on my own. There's so much tension. There's so many things to work through. No matter how much you love the person or the community or the thing, it's just easier to do things on my own because I don't have to deal with the problem. And lastly, maybe what we're saying underneath this, I'm a burden to people I don't belong, is I have nothing to offer or contribute to the church. What do I have to offer? Look at this person. Look at this leader. Look at this ministry. What do I have to offer? What do I have to contribute? I'm a new believer. I'm, I'm weak in my faith. I don't know much. Are you really thinking that I have a place here? I have something to, to give? Come on. There's nothing that I have to offer that people don't already have. In fact, they're doing it better than I do. So why even try? It's better just to stay on my own. And I don't think these things come out of thin air. I think there have been things that have happened to you and I that have caused us to feel this way. For instance, I think people in the past, maybe in your life, have failed you and let you down. And so you are so hurt and traumatized by that disappointment that you look and project that onto people and think, well, if people have let me down before in the church, people will let me down again in the church. If a leader has let me down and hurt me, then the next leader will let me down and hurt me. And you've been failed by leaders and people. You've been hurt in community. Now, I can't tell you how many people I've interacted with in this church over the last seven years of being here plus that have come in saying, I've been hurt by the church. And, and we're not hiding that. And, and I don't try to not say that so you have a vision of church is perfect. It's not perfect. <laughs> if you haven't figured out already being here or any other church, it's not perfect. It's messy and hard. And unfortunately, because you're putting a whole bunch of sinners who are being sanctified into one room, there's going to be hurt. And so people come in, they feel hurt, and, and that's real. But then they're, they're way more apt to not trust people, not open up, because rightfully so, the hurt that they've had to feel and experience. We've been told that we bring people down. Like people have literally maybe told you, you just bring people down. You need to stop being so discouraging, stop being so burdensome. You think, man, we're so different, it's difficult to relate. Leaders have overlooked you and neglected you, so no leader has poured into you. No leader has seen you. You're kind of like a window. Leaders see right through you. They don't stop and appreciate you. And then maybe you've never been told by a leader or someone else, man, you have something to offer. And so you're going around believing the lie. You have nothing to offer. Because look at the leaders. They go to other people and they, they find these ministry people and these, but you have nothing. Come on. You're too immature. You're too this and that. And so you are looking around saying, I am way better just kind of watching online, do my own thing, coming when I want to, but it's way easier to do things by myself. Now the question we have to ask, because I know a lot of us have felt this at certain seasons in our life, is what is Satan trying to accomplish in feeding us this lie? You have to ask that because if you don't ask what is Satan trying to do, then you won't be able to see it play out the way Satan's trying to work it out. He's not just trying to feed you lies so you believe a lie. Again, he's trying to feed you lies so you live differently. And so he has a goal in 
mind. And I don't know if you know this, but you have to know this in the bottom of your heart. The conviction you have to carry around this truth and this lie is that Satan hates it. And I mean hates it when people of Jesus walk closely with one another in vulnerability, love, and encouragement. Satan hates it when Christians gather together and they are in consistent, deep, nurturing relationships. Satan hates it when Christians come together in small groups to pray and to break bread and share life. Satan hates it when, when you come and encourage people and faithfully show up and serve. Why? Because he will do whatever he can to make us isolate ourselves from one another. Satan will do whatever he can to get you away from other people in the body of God. He'll tell you, you, you shouldn't drive that long to go to church. You don't need to wake up that early. You can watch online. People are not perfect. Things have changed too much. This church is not my style. These people don't think about like me. Whatever it is, it could be small or big, Satan will do whatever he can. And I just need you to know, if you're a Christian in this room, and you call this place your, your, your home, or maybe you don't have a church home, you've got to realize when those thoughts come in, they're not just um, harmless thoughts. There is really po- is poison seeping into our minds because Satan can do this. He'll sit, sit you there and say, everything's fine, but look, oh, look at this error. Look at this thing. And he'll get you to fixate on something hard and negative and not well and make you blow that out of proportion so you would isolate yourself from community. I've seen it happen. I've been tempted to do that. I've seen many people go through that and, um, over the years of pastoring, all from maybe something so small. And you have to know this, that if Satan can influence us to isolate ourselves from the body of Jesus, quotations, us, the body of Jesus, the church is called the body of Jesus, then he can succeed in distancing ourselves from the fullness of Jesus. And that means all that God is and has for us in Christ. Did you know, we're going to talk about this, that the people around you that believe in Christ are the body of Jesus. We're called the body of Jesus together. And that means that wherever the body of Jesus goes, Jesus goes. You don't walk around without a head or your head doesn't walk around without a body. It's attached. Jesus is called the head. The church is called the body. And so wherever the body goes, Jesus' presence is there. So think about this. If Satan can say, you don't need the body of Jesus, then what he's doing is secretly getting you to disconnect from the power and the presence of Jesus. And that is detrimental. That's what's at stake. It's not just, oh, I'm not going to church. No, you have to stop saying that. You are the church. You're not not going to church. You are the church. And so how you gather together, I don't care if it's four people in your room or 4,000. It's a church in the name of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's there. And so you need to know that you have value and weight. Well, they don't need me. Yes, we need you. And other people need you. And of course, Satan would love to think, well, they have enough. They don't need me. That's the danger of having a large church, a, a large, large church is that you have every spot filled and these leaders and these things and you start thinking, well, they don't need me. In a large church and a small church, if you are part of the body of Jesus, or we're gonna see this in a minute, you're gonna start missing out on all that God has for you. You have Jesus. Can you survive without being in a church? I think the chances are very slim. I'm not saying you can't, but the chances are very slim. Why? Because God did not create you to survive uh, outside of a community of people. 
Let me just take you through how this happens, how I've seen this happen. Two people, like this is, there's, there's literally people that are not coming in today to church in here and in thousands of other churches because of this. So when I write this down, I'm going to work you through how I've seen it happen. I've seen this happen, I can't count how many times, let alone how many times this happened just in the last couple of years of being at the movement. It's not anything because of this church. It's just how Satan works. One, people, because of the hurt, the trauma, the difference, like I mentioned earlier, people believe they don't belong or fit in. You can insert whatever reason you would start to believe that. And then they believe they're better off on their own because of the hurt, the difference, the trauma. Then they don't gather with people. They don't reach out. And oftentimes I hear, well, no one's reaching out to me. And it almost becomes a justification. So I'm not going to reach out to them. And so there starts to become this distance. And then the next thing I always see happen, and I'm, I'm, I'm not overstating this. I have never seen this not happen. The next step. They fall back into old patterns of destructive sin. I'm not overstating that. I'm not some kind of cult leader trying to get you to come to this church. You can go to any church that loves Jesus. And you can experience this at any church in any way. That when you disconnect from the body for a lengthy period of time, the chances of you falling back in the old patterns of destructive sin, whether it's in your mind, in your heart, you falling away from Jesus being faithful, is so, it, it, it skyrockets. It skyrockets because you weren't created to do this battle on your own. And then because you fall back into old patterns of sin and thoughts, you're made more vulnerable to attacks and lies. You're actually made more vulnerable because now you're by yourself and then you find yourself more distant and in shame. And it's a really bad cycle because then that makes you think, well, now I definitely don't belong because look at how messed up and far I am. And the cycle repeats itself. Does that make sense? This happens so often. This is play by play for some people that I've talked through in the last couple of months. Um, and it breaks my heart because it, it could be avoided. It could be avoided, but Satan is so good at getting people. You have to wonder why people drop out of church, don't come, feel like they don't belonging. Why is it such a, a, a refrain in our minds? Maybe it's not because something is wrong with the church. I mean, it's broken and messy, but maybe Satan is trying to do something intentional to get people out. First Peter 5 says this, verse 8, Be sober-minded and alert. Let's say that together on three. Let's read this whole verse. One, two, three. Be sober-minded and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You can go to the next slide, Daniel. I want you to see this picture. My wife told me this is a wilderbeest. I don't know what that even means. An ox, a wilderbeest. It's a thing. It's a wildebeest. It's a wild beast, okay? <laughs> and those are lions. Now what, if you ever watch, we were watching a history documentary on Netflix, the, the planet one, and it's beautiful. But what we saw was a picture like this. And if you don't know anything about this, it, it's really what Peter is saying. For lions, because this is a big, strong beast too, but what, what happens is lions, how they attack their prey oftentimes is um, they don't attack the herds at once. They go hide behind, by watering holes behind trees and bushes, and they come out and rush the herd. And the herd gets confused and then scatters. And they separate from each other. And then what the lions do, because they're so smart, is they look for the one that is separated the most from the herd, isolate themselves, and then this beast has no, has no chance of surviving. 
because now they're isolated from the herd. And what the documentary said was if this kind of animal, whatever, ox, whatever you want to call it, in in, in any situation, stuck close to the herd, they wouldn't have been attacked. Or if they were attacked, they would have had people around them, animals around them to help. But lions know how to attack. They can't defeat the herd, so they go and cause confusion so everyone runs their own way. And then they isolate one of them to pick off. Isn't that exactly what Satan does? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone. Okay? Seeking someone. I don't know. I mean, this devil can attack multiple people, but he's looking at one person. Your enemy is trying to isolate you from them so that he can devour you. That will not happen as easily, if at all, if you are wrapped in the community that God has created for you. And so there is something huge at stake we're talking about. Not just, you can't just see it as, I'm not going to church. That's such a low view. You won't ever go to church if you have one of these reasons we talked about, if that's the view. You've got to see it as your spiritual life is on stake. Do you see it as that? Do you see you showing up to a small group, you reaching out to a brother or sister, you being consistent in relationships at one church, is actually your spiritual life is at stake, the vitality, the seeds of faith that God has planted, right? Because Jesus says that sower seed parable, and some of the seed gets sown, and what happens? Satan snatches it up before it takes root. And so the seeds that we have that God is planting in us need to be protected, and if we're isolated, he will devour those seeds. You will miss out on the joy in the other parts of the people around you. They will miss out on the mission of you being like Jesus to bless them and to serve them. So what does the gospel have to say then? How do we deal with this? It can't be as simple as just go to church because that, again, is not, is not the highest view, the highest motive, the most moving reason for, for showing up when things are hard. And I get it, church can be hard and community can be messy. How do we fight this lie with the truth then? I want you just to see two reasons through the scriptures. Number one, I want to show you a reason why you belong here. And here, as in not just the movement church, even though that's, that's there, also a reason why you belong in the capital C church. And then number two, a role you play. A reason you belong and a role you play. Are you okay if I read a chunk of scripture? Okay. Um, I'd rather have the Bible speak than me. And this is about 10 verses. You know this, but I want you just to, I'm going to read it and, and make as little remarks as possible while reading it so you can just see this speak to yourself. Now, as I read this, you're going to know it. I want you to just frame your mind for a moment, thinking about what we just talked about, about isolation, the danger of isolation, not feeling like you belong or fit in, not having a place. I want you to have that frame of mind as we read this. You good to go? Okay, 1 Corinthians 12. I think Paul has this in mind, the lies that we're talking about as he's talking about this exact passage. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. We'll start there. For just as the body is one, he's talking about physical body, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Verse 14, for the body, physical body, does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, 
that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? That's kind of awkward, right? A whole eye walking around, it's not going to jive. If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. He put them there. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. He closes these two passages. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable, which are more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. But catch this, that the members may have the same care for one another. He ends by saying, if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. All of you together are Christ's body. All of you. You can see Paul talking. He's writing a letter, looking at a whole church. All of you together, if you're in Christ, are Christ's body. And each of you individually are a member of it. That's powerful. That is so striking and yet so simple. And yet you can see how Paul is in the meantime having these arguments, looking around, and he's addressing the arguments that you and I would have. I don't fit in. I'm not like that. Well, I don't need that kind of person. I don't need that kind of style. And he's saying, no, 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 you are all connected and are all part of one body. Here's what I always want to say to you from a gospel perspective. Your reason for belonging to the church is not tied to your activity, your gifting, your personality, or your maturity, but your identity. Let me read that again. Your reason, the reason why you belong here in the local C church, and the big C church, is not tied to your activity, what you do, your gifting, how you're wired, your personality, or maturity, but your identity. You are adopted by God into one family by the same spirit, and are now united together in Christ with the people of God as one body. That is wild. Because some of you, again, will look at your activity. I'm not doing enough. I'm not reading the Bible. I don't belong. You look at your gifting. I'm not extroverted or introverted enough. I don't belong. You look at your person, you look at your maturity. I am new to the faith. I don't know enough of the Bible. I don't have those kind of experiences. I don't pray a lot, and so I don't belong. And Paul wants to tell you through the gospel, what makes you belong is what Christ has done and made you to be. It's who you are at the core of who you are, not what you do or don't do. The moment you start building your belongingness, your reason for having a space here through the lens of how you do things or not do things, you will be taken out by the enemy easily. The moment you see, I have a place here no matter what I have gone through and what I have done last week, last night, tomorrow, because of Christ and what he has done for me, then you will feel secure here. And no one can taint that or shake that. You see how if you build your identity and your place of belonging based off of any other of these things, you're going to feel like you're never just good enough to call this place, the church, your home. Here's just the implications that, that Paul breaks down. Number one, you are as united with Christ as with one another. 
That is crazy. You are as united with Jesus as you are to one another. Some of you are like, oh, gosh, what? Yes, the people that you, that this rub you wrong. The people that, that vote so different than you. The people that listen to country music. I'm joking. <laughs> I like country music. I cry to country music. Let's be vulnerable. Um, you are as united with them. You, you are a Christian. If you're a Christian in the room and you know you are one with Christ, you are as one with Christ as you are with them. Why? Because you're part of the same body. That's wild. This is not superficial connection. The YMCA, superficial connection. Sports teams, superficial connection. The body of Jesus is not that. You have a connection that goes far deeper. Far deeper. You share the same spirit. You're washed by the same blood. You are necessary, as necessary to the body as anyone else. You need to know that, church. If you are in Christ, part of this church or any church, you are as necessary to the local church and the Big C church as anyone else is. At this church, just because I'm on stage or anyone else does not mean that I'm more valuable than anyone else sitting in the seats. We do not believe that. Do I have a different activity than you do? Yes, but I do not believe I'm more valuable. And I tell people all the time, I go to prayer nights and groups, not because I'm always leading them. Most times I'm not leading prayer nights. I go because I need to be ministered to by the saints. It's my church. I need to. I need someone to lead me to the gospel. I need someone to challenge me. I need someone to ask how I'm doing. I need someone to encourage me. No one is more valuable than anyone else. Catch this. God chose, he says, what part of the body you would be. So you might be looking in the mirror and say, I was talking to someone recently. I won't name names. But they told me that their part of the body is a fingernail. Now, I'm not sure what fingernails do. My wife told me fingernails are really important. I'm not sure what they do. I'm not trying to pluck them off and find out, but I think they're, they're valuable. And here's what is beautiful. I don't care if you think you're a nail or you think you're the, the, the voice. God chose you to be that part. God chose you. God thought it was good enough for you to be that part in the body. So you cannot let Satan denounce and reject and, and look down upon the part that you play in the body because it is different than someone else. You might envy someone else's per spot, but you cannot say, God, I'm, I'm not happy with this. I mean, you can wrestle through that, but God gave it to you. It's not accidental. God actually wired you with that. And that means that your differences do not make you less valuable. Oftentimes, our differences make us feel like we have a distance now between each other, but your differences don't make you less valuable. Your sins or weaknesses don't disqualify you. That's beautiful. Your sins and your weaknesses, and we all have them, do not disqualify you from participating in the body of Jesus. Why? Because God made you part of the body. And he, he, how did he do that? Through his own body being broken. So when you enter into the body of Jesus, you are cleansed and forgiven and made righteous. So you're no longer treated differently because of your sin. And lastly, we are interdependent. What does that mean? You are not able to exist and thrive on your own. It's just kind of gruesome, but if you saw my arm off and put it over there, what's going to happen to my arm? It's not going to thrive, to say the least. And my, my other parts of my body actually will be affected. And we think that that's not the same as the church. Oh, I can leave and it won't affect anyone else. But think about this. If you're so connected as the body is, 
where if your back pain hurts, it tenses up your, your feet and your mind and maybe something is happening in your stomach and it throws off your, your sight or your migraine. Everything is connected, right? You can't just have one isolated thing. I was doing some back stuff the uh, other day, getting cupping, massage, and they're like, everything is connected. Your hips, they said, are tight. And that's causing your back pain, which could be causing migraines. I never thought my hips would be causing my migraines. <laughs> but she was like, everything is connected. And so what Satan wants to do is think, you can do your own thing and it won't affect anyone. No, that is not true. The more you grow in Christ, in community, the more it blesses everyone else. And the more you sin, I don't care if you're showing up or not, you are connected spiritually, it, it hurts the church. You cannot think of yourself in isolation. You cannot think of yourself as I'm living my own life. You are adopted into a family. And that's not a burden, that's a blessing because we know how hard it is to do life on our own. But it is significant that you realize your actions actually can bless or detract from the life of the church because we are interdependent and connected. And that is a great opportunity. Let me ask you some questions. Do you, do you see yourself as disinterconnected? Do you see yourself as this interconnected? Do you see yourself as this kind of like, yeah, we're this close in our unity? Do you believe you can only thrive together? Or something in you still fighting against the idea and you think, nah, but I can, I can watch some services online and kind of do my own thing and read my Bible. I know people that do that. And I could tell you they're not thriving as much as the people who are working through it. They might avoid discomfort. How many of you guys know the discomfort of community is one of God's main sanctifying tools to make you more like Jesus? The gospel is literally the basis of forgiving people who sin against you, and you can't do that to yourself. <laughs> like, well, I forgive you, Chris. Well, I forgive you too. Well, you hurt me. Like, looking in the mirror, that's not going to work. You got to sin against each other, and you be around me long enough, I'm going to fail you and hurt you, and other people will, and not on purpose, hopefully, but we're messy. And then you get to apply the beautiful gospel, not just receive it, but apply it. And let me tell you, applying the gospel, I've had to work through things where I've sinned against people and people sinned against me in the last just two years of leading this church. And let me tell you, those have been some of the hardest moments. But out of that, through reconciliation, it's been some of those beautiful moments where I saw the gospel most clearly. I saw the gospel more clearly than, than any kind of sermon I've ever heard. Why? Because it became visible, displayed in life, reconciled through a brother or sister through the gospel. Lastly, do you see that your differences are ordained? Your differences aren't a mistake. Your personality is not a mistake. Your wiring is not a mistake. It's specifically ordained by God for a local church so you can thrive and other people can thrive. Satan's going to say, you don't belong here. You don't fit in. You are better off by yourself and on your own. And this is what God's word says. I united you with Jesus, therefore you belong to his body, are connected to each member, and are equally valued and necessary for health. Necessary for health. Church, movement church, you call this place your home. If you're watching this and you're on vacation or hanging out, you watch this later, you gotta know that you are necessary for this church to be who God has called it to be. This church will not thrive to the place that it can thrive and go if people just call out and say, it's fine, they're fine without me. That cannot happen. And we need to remind each other of this truth. It cannot be just from me from the stage. You need to remind someone else that's sitting on the bench saying, you're valuable here. You have a voice here. I don't care if you're quiet or loud. I don't care if you're a new Christian or old Christian. You have a voice here. 
Number two, that was a reason you belong. You've been adopted into the family. You've been connected to Jesus' body. But secondly, you have, and it builds on this idea, you have a role to play. 1 Corinthians 12, this is a verse, just a few verses before we just read that whole passage. Paul says this, so it's connected to the idea of being a part of the body. Paul says this, to each person is given the manifestation, you can say expression, of the Spirit for the common good. And he goes on to say, he, he, in between these verses, he lists off all these different gifts, administration, tongues, prayer, teaching. He says, all these gifts and abilities are brought about by one and the same Spirit, distributing to each one individually just as he chooses. I find that first very striking. To each person is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What, what does that mean? It might be kind of hard language to understand. The Spirit of God, because of Jesus reconciling you to the Father and making you a temple, the Spirit of God dwells within you and has empowered you with unique gifts to be used to bless, serve, and build up the body of Christ in love and towards maturity. Every Christian who has professed faith in Jesus, I don't care how mature you are, how much you know, you have the Spirit of God in you, God's presence. You are God's temple. And because you have God's Spirit in you, He now empowers you to do things you couldn't do apart from Him. And those gifts aren't for yourself or your fame or your castle or your career. Those gifts are for the common good of every believer around you. God has deposited something in you to be able to be worked through you for other people. Every person that calls yourself a Christian and, and person that is a disciple of Jesus has the same spirit of God in them and has a different gift. Same spirit, different gift for the same purpose, to bless and build up one another. So you can no longer go to church thinking, well, I'll let the professionals do the work. I have nothing to offer. Because you have something from the gospel that Jesus actually paid a high price for to get you to have his presence so you can operate. And Satan would love to say, just sit down, let the people who are more mature and, and have these special giftings, let them do the ministry. This church, this city will not see the kingdom come to its full extent if we don't believe this is true. Every person in Christ has spiritual gifts. And I wanted to say this, if you're kind of looking, if you've ever taken a spiritual gift test, raise your hand if you've ever taken a spiritual gift test. Raise it high. Okay, so majority of us, um, those are helpful and not helpful. They're helpful because they teach you maybe kind of where you're leaning and why you're beautiful. I encourage you to take them to get an idea. The hard thing is, uh, one, you can't always find your spiritual gift because you're kind of like, you're, you're slowly kind of analyzing what gift you want as you answer the questions, whether you know it or not subconsciously. And number two, I think there are more gifts than just what's listed in the Bible. I think those were a start, and then as you see the gifts in the Bible, they branch out. But look at anything, any kind of activity that you can do by the power of the Spirit to bless people is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual gift. Whether it fits into a category of administration or not, you have something, and every gift is needed to grow the body. Do you know that every gift that is in here deposited by the Holy Spirit is needed to be activated to grow the body? There isn't one gift more valuable than others. And you and I need what the Spirit has given every other person. So it makes you interdependent. We said this a long time ago. When we talk about membership in the church and, 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 and committing to community, you have something others need, and they have something you need. That's how you should view gospel community. You have something that others need. So you show up, and you're not just a recipient. You're a participator. 
but also you get to receive because someone has something you need. So it makes you active and then it also keeps you humble. It makes you active because you go on mission saying, how can I bless, encourage, pray for, do what I'm wired to do? And then it makes you humble because you say, I can't just do things on my own. I need what this sister or brother has because without it, I'm incomplete. And not just that, without you doing what you need to do, this church is incomplete. And the church will only be as mature and healthy as everyone walking out in their gifting. So another reason, watching all, that's why we stopped live stream. Is it convenient for people who are traveling? Sure, but they can just watch Sunday night. No shame, no, no foul, and no problem. But some people, and just across the U.S. because of COVID, which it worked for a little bit, we're staying back. People still do from different churches. I have people in my friend groups that do, that stay back and just watch online. And, and, and that, that shrinks the beautiful vision of a church as a body down to a commodity. And that makes you a consumer, not a participator. And no one in the church is a consumer because you are the church. You are the agent that the Spirit of God uses. And so do you come and consume in moments? Yes. But if you think this is the church, this hour and a half is the church, then, then you have a small view of the church. It's so much more beautiful and bigger. There are things happening at prayer nights, outside of prayer nights, in homes, in coffee shops, on phone calls, in texts, all throughout the night. Organized events and not organized events. As we come together, the church thrives, and that's the church. And so you can't just say, well, I'm just going to take what I want and then not give. That's actually not the way of Jesus. And so I'm not calling you to be a part of our church because of certain like, responsibilities. It's not a call to being a part of the movement church and do certain things. It's a call to be a follower of Jesus. That's the call. Don't, don't look at it that low. Don't make it about the movement church or your local church. Make it about Jesus and the people that he has bought with his blood. You aren't, lastly, you aren't disqualified from having these gifts. Some of you might think, well, I know that Spirit has gifted me, but I've sinned too much, messed up, had too many errors, whatever. I'm disqualified. Let me tell you, the Bible says the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. What does that mean? When he calls you to him and he puts you on mission and he implants his spirit, there's no take backs. There's no returns. There's no refunds. He's not taking away because you didn't live up to a certain standard. That's legalism and law, and this is the gospel we're talking about. You didn't earn it to get it, so you're not going to lose it if you don't measure up to it. Now, it won't grow if you don't use it. Just like a muscle has to grow. I'm, I'm working out. You might not see it. Don't let this thing fool, fool you. But I'm do, don't let this bag of jeans fool you. But uh, I told someone the other day, I'm doing squats. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it, babe. I'm, I'm learning how to do squats, okay? Don't ask Erica for the picture. She took some pictures at the 4th of July party. I'm learning how to do squats, and it's great. But my body, I'm learning how to you know, work out and take care of my back and my core. But it's, um, it's, it's not happening as fast as I want it to. I wanted to see. I got to go in the mirror, and I'm like, babe, look at my six-pack. And then I go show her, and she's, she's kind of like not as surprised as I am. I think the angle didn't work. Like, it's not there <laughs> overnight. Like, maybe the angle I was seeing, I was like, I see a line. <laughs> she's like, that's a shadow. <laughs> So the point is that you got to work it out. I can't just like lift a couple of weights and act like I got a big muscle. I got to work it out. And your spiritual gift is like that. You've been given a gift, but you got to work it out. Like you try once and it doesn't work and now you're hurt. No, come on. Jesus died for you to have his spirit. He thinks you're that valuable. You got to try it out. And you're going to fall flat on your face using your gift. Get back up, kid, and try again. 
I don't care. I'd rather have people fall trying to use their gifts than staying back saying, I'm, not, I'm disqualified. I, we, need, we need every single person. This is not, I'm not trying to get mere flattery to you. You need it because of Jesus' kingdom. So you aren't disqualified because of the gospel. But you don't know my past and what I've done, Chris. You have God's spirit and he has gifted you. But I'm weak and I'm struggling with sin. You have God's spirit and he has gifted you. But I'm new to the faith, Chris. I don't know enough. You're going to trust me with leading things and helping? You have God's spirit and he has gifted you. And the newest believer next to the oldest believer has the same amount of the spirit. Did you know that? Maybe one person has trained and has worked out that muscle more, but you, have this, you don't get more of the spirit. You get to be more in line with the spirit. You don't get more of the spirit. As in like you have 20% when you start out and 80% 10 years later. The only thing is the difference is one person is actually tapping into the spirit by walking by the spirit and one person's not. It's all there available to you. And you can have it all for free as you live by the spirit. That means we need introverts and extroverts at this church. We need preachers and we need prayers. We need missionaries and we need mechanics. We need administration as much as we need ministries of compassion. And we need charismatics as much as we need contemplatives. And you might think, well, I don't want a charismatic. Go to the next slide. I don't want a charismatic because I'm the person that just thinks, meditates. I don't want someone speaking in tongues or using a gift. I, I think compassion is the thing we need to do. And administration is not spiritual. But you don't get to decide that. These are all spiritual gifts from God. And if we have a whole bunch of extroverts and preachers and missionaries, man, you, you can be burnt out. Like, that's enough. I need someone just to shut up and pray and not say a word. <laughs> like, please, can we have a moment of silence? <laughs> so you're, and, and then if we have introverts and prayers and, and other things, you're going to be like, can someone talk? Can, can someone get up? And, like, you need both. Can I tell you, the introverts in this church have sanctified me more than anyone else. If you're an introvert, maybe you would say this, the extroverts have sanctified you more than anyone else. And I say sanctify as in double tap that annoy, frustrate, <laughs> make me pray, repent, forgive, and then I get to be like Jesus. And maybe I've done that to you. Maybe someone has done that to you. But the end result is beautiful. I can become more like Jesus. Or I can get into a club where everyone's like me. Thankfully, that's not like that. This is the diverse church. And we don't think diversity just in like race and, and skin color. We think diversity in the midst of how people are. Let me tell you, I'm glad we're, we're, we're racially diverse and all those things. But what's beautiful is that we are just so different as people. There's not just one clique group that acts the same and that is actually glorifying to God. So questions, what has the spirit gifted you with? Are you using it or are you burying it in the ground? Are you devaluing it by comparison and jealousy? Where you know the gift, but you think someone else has a better gift, so you're, you're devaluing your gift. Are you believing you have nothing to offer because the gospel has purchased something for you? And we need you to operate in your gifting and experiment. Satan's going to whisper, you don't belong anywhere. You don't belong and God's going to say, you are united with Christ and others. And Satan's going to attack you and say, you have nothing to offer, kid. Just give up. Sit back. Let the professional, mature people do it. And God's going to say to you through the gospel and the word, you are gifted 
uniquely by the Holy Spirit. Church, you need to hear that word. It's for every person in here. We can't do it just by ourselves. You're not going to survive by listening to podcasts and watching YouTube people. You need substance in real life relationships that are messy to look more like Jesus. But there's, there's one thing that I just want to close with that is the greatest thing that you need to keep in your mind as a reason to actually be united and to do this thing called church. Would you stand with me as we close? One thing, the question I want to ask it's a simple question. What is the greatest fuel we have to unite us together and make us see our place in community? What is the greatest fuel? This is going to take the place of formation moment. So we're going to do something with communion. But what is the greatest fuel? I can tell you these things, but there's something that you need to stare at, that you need to keep in front of your gaze that will help you connect the people and love each other when things get really rough and you sin against each other and the devil lies to you. Jesus said this in Matthew 26. Now, as they were eating together on a table, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks to God, he, he gave it to them, passed it around and said, drink of it, all of you. It wasn't just one person, all of you drink of it for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I want you just to think, what, what does communion have to do with community? What does my privatized moment of me and Jesus have to do with us being connected? Look at what Paul says. Is not the cup that we bless a communal sharing in the blood of Christ? That word is fellowship. Is not the bread that we break a communal sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many different people, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. That bread that we're going to eat from was broken from one loaf. We're all sharing in the life of one loaf and one cup. I don't care what you, how you vote, what you think, your personality. When you come to the table of the Lord, it is saying you are united in Christ. And that is the greatest thing that unites you more than anything else you want to say connects you. And so here's what I want to do. We're going to choose something different. If you believe in Christ, profess faith that Jesus has broken his body for your healing, has shed his blood for your sins then I want you to invite yourself to the table. This side can go to the front, through the front. This side can go through the back. I want you to take and dip, and I want you to stand up here facing each other. We're not going to take it privatized, individual. We're going to take it together. If you're not a believer in Christ and don't feel comfortable, no one's going to look at you different, that's fine. We welcome you here. This table is for those who follow Jesus, and I want you to do this together as we experiment in worship. So if you're a follower of Jesus, would you come this side, come to the front, take it, do not receive it, just take it and hold it, and then this side, come to the back. You can come right now, and I want you to sit with that ready to go, and we're going to stare at each other, we're going to pray, we're going to take it together as a family, united in Jesus.
all of us sharing from one loaf, one cup, all the differences we have. Here's what I want to say. As you're, as you're coming forward, you can just listen. As I just lead you through this, and we're going to do a moment of prayer. But the gospel is not just between us and Christ individually. The gospel is not just between you and Jesus privatized. It is each of us together in Christ. Catch this. You and I, we share in the same life, are brought into the same body, and are forgiven by the same blood. Come on. We share in the same life, we are brought into the same body, and we are forgiven and made righteous by the same blood. And Jesus' death doesn't just save us from sin. It saves us from isolation and saves us into a forever family called the church. And oftentimes we take communion and the Lord's Supper by ourselves, and that's beautiful. But we're in danger of isolating the very thing that Jesus died to make communal together. I know this is awkward and weird, but I need you to see each other before you take the bread and the blood. I need you to see that no matter what difference you have, what disagreement you have, what hurt you have, that Christ shed blood and broken body makes you united, makes you reconciled, makes it worth doing life together. It makes it worth doing life together. So here's what I want to do as we, if you have your element. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray over us. We're going to take it all together as we stare at each other, look each other in the eyes. I want it as awkward and beautiful as possible. And then what I want you to do if you're comfortable, I want you just to find two or three people next to you. One person in the group can just say a prayer. I want you to pray a prayer of gratitude for Jesus, for one another in the spirit. It could be simple, but let's celebrate that we are a family united not just by physical blood, by the blood of Jesus. And let me tell you, none of y'all would have chose this family on your own. Jesus chose it. Jesus chose it. And that makes it more beautiful. And so if you have your element as we're facing each other, as I pray, I want you to look around. I want you not to close your eyes in this moment. As you look around as we, as I pray for you. Father, we, before we take this body and blood, God, we just, we just stop and say thank you for your sacrifice. That didn't just save an individual person, but you came to get possession of a people and a nation and a temple to fill. You came to bring together all kinds of people from every tribe and color and language and nation under the banner of Jesus. And there's nothing in this world that you you can unite people in the world like the gospel. And so guys, we stare, maybe awkwardly at one another. Maybe Maybe we're catching eyes of people we don't know. Maybe we're catching eyes of people that we have disagreements with. Maybe we're catching eyes with people that have hurt us. Maybe we're catching eyes with people we don't even know. God, would you help us to see people through your lens, blood-bought brothers and sisters, and we are sharing in the greatest thing in the world, your death and resurrection. 
We're part of one body. Would you make us see the value of your gospel and your people, God? And may our eyes look not to just the church, but to you for reason to love each other, to love each other like you have loved us. So God, together, at the same time, Lord, as a family, we partake of your bread and your blood. You may partake of communion with us together right now. And God, we take it, we receive it as an act of faith, saying thank you by one loaf and one cup, we are together united in Christ by the same spirit. And we'll be family forever. Thank you, Christ. Thank you for this family. Thank you for your blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may receive the Lord's broken body and blood. You turn to your neighbor and you can pray for each other, just a prayer of gratitude. But here's just a a little catch. I didn't plan on saying this. If you have someone in this room, this is going to be uncomfortable, but the Bible says to do this. If you have someone in this room who you have an issue with, who who have you sinned against or they've sinned against you, this is the moment to reconcile, not because you're a perfect saint or mature, but because you are taking the thing that has reconciled us all. And because Jesus has forgiven us of all our sins, we can surely forgive one another. And so whether you need to reconcile with a brother or sister, whether you need to reaffirm your love for them, or whether you just grab two or three people and pray for them and pray with them, would you do this now? Let's be the body to one another And then I'll come back up and we're going to worship Jesus. Let's do so now as a body of saints. Reconcile, you can talk. Let's pray. Grab someone, just lay a hand and pray a prayer of gratitude for the body of Jesus.